All right. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we're exploring the landscape of learning technology, cutting through the fluff to answer the questions you need answered to make the right decisions when building your digital learning ecosystem. Today, I'm joined by J.D. Dillon from Exonify, and it's been an interesting pre-show. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, and digging into a variety of the challenges, some which we just dealt with, uh, that we face in learning and development and talk a little bit more about how Exonify is continuing to evolve to address them. So for those of you joining us live already, be sure to give us a thumbs up, share the post, or tag in somebody who would benefit from our conversation. But before we get started about all of that, which, by the way, to give people context, leading up to this, JD has tried just about every technological device <laughs> in his house to get things working so that when he's talking, he, we're not we're not losing things. So thanks for your patience. That was that we were joking about. It. I don't know if you heard us, but uh, we were talking about how that felt like an episode of 24, right, right up to the wire. I was I was waiting to see if we were going to make it work. So thanks. <laughs> the joys of technology. <laughs> It's a, it's a great reason why you show up early. Exactly. First. And then it was, again, just like I think we mentioned, it reminded me of the many times just in day-to-day -day life or corporate world where, you know, plan A didn't work, plan B didn't work, plan C didn't work, plan D didn't work. I've still got another one. Yep, yep. So <laughs> at this point, yeah, my, uh, we're iPodded on my phone using 4G. That's right. On a but we're doing in it. In order to get, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have. I have all types of other, this is just, I don't know if I can get like, I've got this, I've got this, I've got so many ways we could have done this, but uh, this, is, this is. And the in the end, we're just using a phone using yeah. the standard network, you know? Yeah. It works. It works. Well, before we get into it, um, the, our question, our question of the week that uh, that we've been talking about, and I don't know the answer to this, and I'm very interested to your, to hear it, is what is the grossest food you've ended up eating just to be polite. So let's hear. Sure. Uh, so my answer is a non-answer because I have, and as anyone who's ever spent any time with me would know, I have the palate of about a four and a half year old. Okay. So I think I've done a good job over the years not getting myself into situations by which I have to attempt to eat uh, what would some people may consider gross food because I, I'm a pretty simple eater. Okay. So I I make a lot of effort to navigate my way through restaurants or team outings and things like that to make sure I don't have to be concerned about okay. uh, any dietary limitations. So I honestly can't sit here and say I've eaten anything particularly gross. Um, Not even as a kid? No, that's kind of why. Because as a child, okay. I was your like, what shape are my chicken nuggets today type of child. <laughs> so... I just didn't really develop much of a palate until I got through college. And then when I actually started traveling a bit and, you know, had to do a little bit more in terms of kind of exploration when it comes to eating, went a little bit further, but never so far as to anything that I would consider, you know, a real adventure when it comes to. Okay. Okay. So, so mine's not that exciting, but it's, it's pretty funny. And actually if my brother's tuning in, he'll probably get a kick out of this because he'll, he'll probably remember this. So I remember one time, um, my mom made this broccoli soup from scratch, right? And <laughs> I think, I don't know what happened to it, but let's just say the broccoli disintegrated into just this green muck. And we we all were trying to, <laughs> to stomach this stuff. It was terrible. And mom, if you listen, like you're an amazing cook. So this is in no way a reflection on your cooking. But 
this soup was terrible and it was so bad. My brother actually threw up into his soup. Um, and, and it was, a, it was quite the family ordeal, but we were all pretending like, mm, so good, mom, this is delicious. But my brother just couldn't do it. He couldn't stomach it. Did your mother like it? You know, it came out later that night. She pretended it did, but it, it came out much later that even she was like, no, it was, it was pretty terrible. So, you know, maybe had we all just been honest with each other and admitted this soup is awful. Um, you know, maybe we would have just been a better in a better place for it, but yeah, anyway, so that that's mine, but okay. So do you, you still have pretty, pretty simple taste with things or have you expanded your palate? I think if you compared me to the average person, I'm pretty simple as okay. it were. Um, I, I live in Orlando, Florida, so I don't live in a place that really has a local flavor or kind of cultural delicacy to it. Okay. Um, I do travel a decent amount. I don't do a ton of international travel, so I don't get exposed to a lot of different things. Um, so I'd say overall, I'm I'm still very much, uh, I know what I like or enjoy, so I kind of lead in that direction. And people generally know that, you know, if you're sending me somewhere to dinner, if there's chicken on the menu, good to go. Good to go. Okay. Yeah. So they won't, they won't take you to a sushi restaurant. I take it. Uh, yeah. I, I, the other thing I will say is though, as, as I've gotten older, I do try things. So okay. it's not like I'm just sitting here saying I only eat. <laughs> I, I just, you'll try it. Evolved a taste, uh, you know, just based on years at this point, um, I will try things. It's hard for me to get to like things. And I'm, I'm not, not a huge proponent of like eat it because it's supposed to be good. Okay. I'd rather eat something I actually enjoy now rather than try to force a change into the way that, you know, I, I eat in the future. Okay. Uh, so I've, I've gone to sushi restaurants. I've tried certain things, not my particular yeah. bag. I know everyone, a lot of people enjoy it. Not my thing. Okay. Uh, like I said, if there's a, there's an optional chicken item on me, <laughs> I'll still go. I'm good. Okay. But uh, I'll, I'll find my version wherever I go. Okay. All right. Well, you're in good company then with that one. Cause I'll, I'll try sushi. I'll try things, but yeah, mm -hmm. I'm more of a, you know, and chicken, you, you can't really go wrong with it. Although I can think of one time where it wasn't, it wasn't great. It was not, it was not great, but you should anyway. start every episode with your dining exploits. Yeah. yeah right. Like you yeah. Have, you yeah have exactly. Well, uh, you know, it makes it, it makes it a little more interesting. I, at least I think so. Who knows? Maybe listeners are like, what? Um, but anyway, so, well, all right. So let's, let's kind of get started with this. You know, I've, I've been in the space for a long time. Exonify is not, is not a, a name that I'm unfamiliar with, but I know, you know, just jumping into it a little bit for, for people who may not know what it is or may not have had a lot of experience with it. How do you, you know, when people say, so what's Exonify? How do you articulate that? Sure. So, I mean, short story, I'd say we're, we're technology solutions really focused on enabling the frontline workforce. Okay. Uh, I have a particular passion and our team has a particular passion around enabling the people who are kind of the boots on the ground, working directly with your customers, working directly with your products uh, okay. to really execute strategies that kind of come from the senior levels of an organization, but you require their performance and their kind of top-notch execution to be able to make you know, the business results happen. So we're, we've crafted over the last eight plus years, a technology experience and a content experience and a set of related services that really focus on enabling that frontline workforce. So really kind of a tailor-built solution for, for that persona or kind of that um, type of an audience in the modern workplace. Okay. And do you find certain industries or, you know, th things tend to lean towards that versus others, or is it really across us the gamut? 
Sure. So I'd say there's there's specific industries that have a more concentrated frontline focus. Um, retail, as an example, grocery, yeah. as an example. Um, also, contact centers, logistics, professional sales. So I'd say any organization or any kind of industry that has uh, a distributed workforce, you know, a large number of people who are working in frontline type capacities who are traditionally difficult to reach and, and in my opinion, often underserved as yeah. a result of that, undersupported. Uh, so we help organizations take a look at enabling that critical audience in a different way through, again, the technology and the solutions that we provide. So I'd say we, we do a lot of work in, in those retail environments and grocery environments and contact center environments. Um, but it really is any world that matches up with that persona of the frontline employee um, and that kind of you know inability to really fit additional activities into the day and ability to reach with traditional training um, to engage people in traditional training is where we really can make an impact very quickly. Okay. Okay. Well, and it's an important, right? You, you talk about it being an underserved audience. And I think mm -hmm. it's a fair point to bring up because a lot of times we think about corporate L&D from a, you know, corporate standpoint, the people that are, you know, behind a computer a good chunk of the day. And that's, that's not the case in many, actually, even in a lot of large companies, there's still a large percentage of the population that is that, that frontline worker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. So what I'm curious, because I, I know a little bit more about your background from our previous conversations, but what what made you decide to, you know, go over to Exonify in a, in a real full capacity and be out there really kind of evangelizing what Exonify is doing? What made you make that jump? Sure. So I'd say a couple things. Uh, one, the, the commitment to the frontline workforce and, and serving uh, an undersupported population has really been a theme through my entire career because okay. I come out of uh, operational roles and then operational learning and development. So pretty much my entire career has been um, working in roles that support that type of an audience. So when I was at Disney, I had I was managing frontline teams and then learning and development focused on the frontline cast, similar to Kaplan, where it was a contact center environment, but again, really focused on the agents who were on the phone with students every day. So there's that kind of alignment to the experience we provide and the, the audience that we are building the experience to support lines up with where I've spent most of my career. I was also Exonify's seventh customer. So when I was at Kaplan, I got okay. access to the Exonify platform, was able to apply it in my contact center environment and started to identify or notice that this was different. That for the first time as a learning and development professional, I had to call people into my office and ask them why they were doing so much training. Really? Uh, why, why did I, you know, I was looking at, at the, the metrics and had to call a couple people in and ask, why are you, why are you doing something every day? Why are you logging into this platform literally every time you sit down at your desk? And it was interesting to hear the responses they were giving me. And, and they were all different responses. But what I could tell is that they were all improving. Okay. It was working, but they were coming for different reasons. They were engaging in a continuous learning experience for different reasons, which at the time in that particular role, I was kind of in that moment of having to rethink what I was doing and, and, and tackle challenges in a different way based on the way the organization was restructuring. So that kind of opened certain doors to me to try out different tactics, to leverage different technologies in my ecosystem in different ways. And then you kind of fast forward several years. Um, there's, a, I've always said there's a great alignment between the way that I look at the role of learning and development and the work that we've always done at Exonify. So as a person who's been a corporate learning practitioner is now working on the solution provider side of the fence, uh, I don't have to change a lot, right? It's the okay. same ideas, the same philosophy, the same spirit when it comes to enabling employees to do their best work every day, now I just get to do it with 
you know, different types of organizations by leveraging our technology yeah. and solutions, and then try to really help the industry overall uh, take a look at some of these practices and see how they can apply them inside of their businesses as well. So the, I'm I'm really curious to dig into that a little bit more because mm -hmm. that that is an interesting you know personal experience to have with it, and you know you look at some of the research that's out, you know, how the workforce learns, things like that. You hear traditional corporate learning type solutions people engage with maybe monthly, more mm -hmm. likely quarterly. So to have it be a daily event had mm -hmm. to be one of those like okay why? So what were some of the things that your your employees were saying? I mean, you said it was different, but what were some of the things that bubbled to the top? Sure. So I had some people, and if, you, if you're familiar with the, the Exonify experience, we build in a variety of different motivational tactics to help engage people, especially when they get started. Because like yeah. you said, when you look at you know, learning management systems, learning experience platforms, you see engagement levels around 10, 15%, people using them for their compliance training once in a while, they're onboarding the structured types of activities that they're required to do. And then you try to pivot that experience for that same audience to something that is meant to be every day, it's something that they can experience in just a couple of minutes while they're you know, on their mobile device or at their POS system, or in my case, as a contact center, they are sitting in front of a computer, but yeah. they're supposed to be on the phone. So in the couple of minutes that they have, they now have an opportunity to do some type of learning activity. So how do you get them to shift their mentality of what the, what learning is, at yeah. work, right? It's not something you have to go in a room for three hours to do. You still may go into a room for three hours once in a while when that's the right solution. Yeah. But now there's these other tactics and other ways we're trying to support people. So as Exonify, we, in, we embed a variety of different tools and tactics to motivate and engage people to get them started, to bring them back every day. But the ultimate motivator is the value, right? You're getting something out of these couple of minutes a day that's going to help you do your job better. And you may engage with the platform in different ways because you enjoy different elements. So in my case, when we first got, it was, again, Exonify in 2013. So it's a very early version yeah. of what the experience is today. Um, I would ask someone, you know, why, why are you completing literally almost 30 days out of 30 days, you're coming into Exonify. Why? And one person said, I want to get my average at 100. I'm that person. I want to get all the questions right. Okay. I want to have the high score on my team. That's what I do. Great. Next person. What are you doing? Actually, I'm trying to earn enough reward points so that I can bid in this auction because there's a particular prize that is leveraged inside of Exonify, okay. you know, in an eBay style auction. They're going after the prize. Awesome. Great. Next person comes in. Um, and it had, they all had different explanations as to what parts of the experience they were grabbing a hold of. Yeah. But like I said, the consistency was when I look at their metrics, they're all learning, they're all improving. And then when you start to connect that to what's happening in real life inside the operation, you started to see a difference between the people that were engaging at that level and the people who weren't kind of grabbing a hold of the experience right away. And as someone who kind of came across Exonify in an informal way in that particular role, it pointed me in a certain direction with the way that I was using all of my technology um, to support learning and development in that role. Okay. Okay. So even though they were coming for different reasons, you were still seeing the same outcomes, whether whatever their motivation was for doing it. Yeah. And today, I mean, if you look at our, we're obviously a, a very different organization with a much larger- uh, Yeah, than you were in 2013. Yes, yes, it's a different it's a different world in 2020. But uh, at this point, our average participation rate across our global user population is right around 83%. So 83% of Exonify users access the platform on an average two to three times per week. Okay. So when you have that level of engagement, that level of access, and that ability to start to collect 
data and really understand where the areas of need are in individuals' kind of knowledge-based, skill-based performance, there's it opens the door to a lot of different things that you can do to improve the way that you're supporting people. And that's what I, I started to realize from the application side, the user side, uh, several years back before I joined the team about four years ago. Okay. So when you when you talk about that, because I think one of the things I've seen over the years that can cause challenges is you talked earlier about, right, sometimes there is still that need to have that three, four hour, whatever that is. It's not all just moving from box A to box B. How do you work with organizations or how do you help people work through that? Because I've seen it multiple times and had to mitigate this where people try and take that three hour thing and just go, well, we'll just move it over here. And that's not going to net the same result. So how do you help people make that, that jump? Sure. In my experience, we have a very um, solid from this to that mentality in okay. learning and development. And I don't think it's unique to us as an no, industry. No, it's not. A lot of people, new, new toy or new, new technique, let's go from here to there rather than sit back and now collectively assess everything we've got and figure out the right ways to tackle particular challenges. And I think we're basically speaking to what happened with e-learning yep. and then what happened with mobile learning, where yep. we just kind of took a new thing and took our existing mentality and tried to slam it into that box right. and then recognize that doesn't quite work. So for Exonify, you know, the technology is a big part of the conversation, but the way that we approach learning and the way that we approach solutioning is equally important. Yeah. So we really work um, and work with organizations to work backwards from specific business challenges they're trying to address, right? So it's not about how much content can we can provide. Uh, it's not about how many courses or topics you have in a system. It's about what are the challenges that are of greatest importance to your employees and to your organization? And then how do we work our way from a clear problem, something that has a measurable output to it, backwards to, okay, to achieve this result, to be able to improve safety in a specific way in order to sell more of a specific product. Okay, what's the behavior change we're looking to achieve? What do people have to do? Great. In order to change that behavior, what knowledge do we have to foster, right? What do people have to know? And really challenge subject matter experts and stakeholders to say, if they don't know this, can they still do the job? Can the behavior still change? And then get down to the very specific set of kind of key uh, knowledge points that people have to know, and then determine what is the right solution for this challenge. Yeah. And with Exonify, the answer, what our, our goal is to really help augment the entire ecosystem, not be the answer to literally every problem. Yeah. So in some cases, in certain environments, the entire answer may be, we're going to build a set of reinforcement questions that's going to make sure and challenge people's knowledge, make sure they can apply this key knowledge. And that's going to drive that kind of value chain towards the result. And we see that type of result. Some cases, it might be something more structured, where we actually have to work through a, a series of content, right? You have to do something more like a guided path um, yep. of content that may include instructor-led events. It may include webinars. It may include job aids um, and, and kind of practice tasks in the real world. So that the key is working your way from the key sta the problem statement, the outcome you're trying to achieve as an organization to tackle this particular problem and then narrow it down to the right solution and then use the different elements of Exonify, the different elements of the rest of your ecosystem uh, to be able to address that issue. So it's really helping people work through that approach rather than making it about, well, we have a thousand courses. Now we're going to put a thousand courses Shop in new technology them, yeah. and those thousand courses are now going to do a better job than they've ever done before. They may improve because of the, our ability to drive engagement, but it's really about building tailored right fit solutions using our approach and then leveraging the technology to bring that to life. 
Okay. Well, and that's that that was the th- challenge with I think when micro learning became the trend, right? Everybody everybody jumped on it and it's like, let's do micro learning and so let's chop all our things into little pieces and then let's put it over here and and this class that wasn't effective before now surely will be because now it's in 100 pieces because the reason it wasn't effective was because it was in one and that just isn't the way it's not the way it works. So it it really is about focusing more on that and I've always looked at you know, I'm curious how you see organizations fitting it into the ecosystem, because I think that's one of the challenges a lot of organizations face right now is they're moving from this mindset of, well, we had an LMS and now we are going to get rid of the LMS. We're going to have a micro learning platform. And it's less of that conversation and more of a, well, no, you're going to have an LMS. You're probably going to have this other type of platform. You're going to need to pull those things together. How are you seeing organizations make you know that that transition and is it a mindset? You know, what, what challenges are people facing with that? Yeah, for me, everything starts with mindset, the way you look at what you do to help your people do their, their best work. Right. And I think it's, it comes down to crafting an experience and then activating a set of tools that can bring that experience to life based on the reality of the people you're trying to support, really understanding what is, what is their life like, right? What is their day? Like if you're trying to support associates who work inside of a grocery store, understanding what the day-to-day working experience is like for those individuals and the challenges that they face, how those challenges and performance relate to the priorities your business is trying to achieve, and then say, what experience do we have to activate? And then what tools do we need to bring that experience to life so we can help improve performance and then reach those business priorities? And I see the, the answer is going to be different for every organization to some degree, right? Where in some cases, let's stay on a grocery store, there are grocery chains where Exonify is the core learning technology, right? We are the learning management system for that organization because we have the ability to activate the experience that they need to drive the performance of the audience on the front lines in the stores. There are various environments where, and I was one of them, where I had a learning management system and I had Exonify and I had a knowledge base and I had a webinar platform, and I had all these different pieces, but it's about helping the organization understand the purpose and value behind each application within that kind of experience design of of how we help people do their jobs better here, and then activate the right tools as part of that process to solve a particular problem and help people improve. Um, So it's, it's, we recently worked with Red Thread and Danny Johnson on a research report around learning ecosystems and talking to organizations yep. who use different types of technologies in different ways. And one of her findings was that the average organization she spoke with uh, used 11 different technologies to support learning and development. Now, not all of them are owned and procured by L&D, right? right. Some of them are comms tools. Some of them are the intranet, these different pieces of technology and resources that people do use as part of their job to improve their performance. So it's about figuring out what's the right experience for the people you're trying to help and what you're trying to um, help them overcome in terms of problems. And then how can the tools that you maybe have or the tools that you have to acquire fill those gaps to bring that right experience to life? Yeah. So with this, because I'm curious if you see some trends in this, because my background's been, I've been in a number of different business functions, been in a number of different capacities, things like that. And you brought up the fact that one of the key ways you make this successful is truly understanding what work is actually happening. So the stuff you're pushing out there is relevant to those jobs. And a lot of times that that level of knowledge is not always 
at a corporate center. Sometimes that's where you really do need to dig into a, a functional learning organization or you know the sales team or things like that. Do you find that you know you tend to work more with kind of the corporate central function, or do you end up working? And not to say this is how Exonify is, but what what types mm-hmm. of trends do you see with that? I'd say the the folks who are often moving more quickly to make a change are the folks who are closer to the problems, yep. right? So there, there are plenty of organizations out there that are thinking about, <clears throat> you know, evolving their learning and development strategy yes. from a, a higher level, kind of a transformation type conversation. But there are also a lot of people who have concrete business problems that relate to employee performance that they need to go solve and they need to go solve them now. Because yep. something is changing in their business, you know, c- competition's changing. That just nature. Uh, using retail as an example again, where you know what you ask of a retail associate ten years ago versus what you ask of them today in order to remain competitive is a very different set of knowledge and skills, right? It's becoming much more consultative and customer service oriented and less task oriented than maybe it was in the past. So it's it's really you know connecting what learning and development does to meaningful problems in the organization that often happens. And it's true for my entire career. I've always been on the operational side of learning and development, yep. closer to the problems, which allowed me to explore, try new ideas, right? get some, some new tactics in the mix, improve the business value of those changes to then maybe make those larger implementations that moved across a business at a more strategic level. Um, but again, it really does, like you said, come back to understanding the reality of the organization, both what the business problems and priorities are, and also what that day-to-day looks like. I think one of the smartest decisions I ever made as a learning and development professional was when I was at Disney, I prioritized on a regular basis, putting the costume back on, going back into the operation and working shifts in previous locations because it just kept me grounded. While I worked under the Magic Kingdom for a while in an office, um, and you don't necessarily come above ground all the time unless it's really busy holiday season and it's all all hands in it reminded me what the experience was like what the day-to-day challenges looked like exactly what it was like to work with a guest who's maybe a little bit disappointed in an experience and it added some some trust and credibility to the fact that the learning and development team was continuing to stay close to the people we were supporting so that we could then bring back solutions that we knew were going to fit into what the day-to-day reality looked like yeah and i and i it almost seems like in in it, again, we're talking L and D buzzwords, but this this micro learning point, you know, kind of point of work stuff, really is more performance support and guidance type stuff than it is. Hey, we're trying to you know give you kind of some broad based knowledge stuff. Not that you can't use it for that, but that's that day to day engagement where you go, I'm struggling with this right now in this situation, and I'm trying to figure out what's a better way to s- solve for it. I think I see it as a it's a combination of tactics, right? Yeah. And I kind of like you said, it's it's. We get we get mixed up in buzzwords where we start to say, is it this or is it that? Right. right? Is it micro learning or is it performance support? And my response to that is, does it really matter what we call it as long right. as we're helping people? Um, so I think, and if anyone's seen me talk before or any of, um, I talk about a, a framework for kind of realigning tactics based on the reality of the modern workplace. Yep. And for me, it, you know, things ground in making sure people have access to performance support. They can find information when they need to be able to look it up because no one's going to have memorized 100% of the information they will no. ever need to do their job. No. Uh, if, if a new product is released inside of your business, you're not going to remember 100% of the product specs tomorrow. No. However, well, a three-day workshop would solve for that, though, JD. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> We're going to do an eight-hour, eight-hour clockwork orange 
workshop that yes. you will be you'll be met. I call it the fire hose. But <laughs> the um but the idea is that can we help kind of draw a dividing line between what information is okay for people to look up? Again, by asking that question, if they don't know this, can they still execute on yeah. the job? Well, maybe they can look up certain information when that's where the performance support angle comes in if you want to kind of put the label on it. But then there's the ideas around continued practice and reinforcement, right? Yep. Using those couple of minutes a day we can find inside the daily working experience to challenge people's knowledge, deliver maybe a piece of refresher information so that we're growing their knowledge and growing retention of the right information while then leveraging other tactics to provide kind of on-demand performance support in the moment of need type activities. But all of it, whether it's a you know, structured training course or it is a job aid you can look up, it's all about fitting all of it into my working reality as a frontline associate. Yeah. And in some cases, you may need to remove me from that because I do need to go through a more structured training program, but that still has to fit into my work experience because for this to work, learning becomes part of working a job, not yep. something you get removed from a job to do or something that you have to wait for your opportunity yep. to have, you know, to be able to develop yourself. So for me, it, it all kind of fits together. That word fit means a lot of different things. And yep. the performance support angle fits as part of that overall story. Well, and it's very situational. I think we we too often get caught up in the this or that. And it's like, well, yeah. it's not a this or that. It's a this and Maybe that it might be a this or that. It just depends on the situation. So there's two questions I want to dig into. Um, the first one's still kind of sticking to this front line, right? Front front line stuff. From an access standpoint, uh, you know, not and this is a challenge that not everyone in LD may have faced before, but there are lots of times where those frontline workforce people, they don't have they don't have a company phone or a company assigned mm -hmm. laptop to do that. How does I, how do you work with that? I mean, obviously people are still using it. They're not going, sorry, I, I can't get to it. Is how do you, how do you work around that? Sure. So you, you just need to get an understanding of, again, what that working environment is like to take a look at where potential access points already exist. Okay. Um, if you look at, from an Exonify data perspective, the global population that uses Exonify, more than half are using it on mobile devices. Okay. So, and a lot of mobile devices are personal mobile devices where that is permissible, right? So where that meets whatever the regulations may be inside of an organization yeah. or from a kind of a, a, Can't you know, be law sitting perspective. Through, through micro learning on your phone while you're talking to a customer. <laughs> yes, so, so it depends on, again, looking at that environment, what's best for that environment. So we have plenty of people using personal mobile devices because most of our audience is carrying them in some in some way. Um, we do a lot of work with, example, some ride sharing applications where the, the, it's their personal phone that they use with their driver application on it and Exonify is part of that experience. So there's a device access point. Um, we then take a look at if personal mobile devices aren't the best option, well, what's going on inside the operation already from a technology perspective? We'll use point of sale systems in a lot of cases. So people in a retail environment are already standing behind a point of sale register and maybe they're not constantly inundated by guests once in a while they do have those couple of minutes where there's no one in their department now their point of sale becomes their access point because it's already there in some cases we're using time clocks or we're positioning machines near time clocks so in some grocery stores we've looked at kind of their existing tech resources and said okay. well, let's take that computer that you had in like the human resources office on the second floor that no one ever goes Nobody there. Went to. Let's, let's just move it and put it next to the time clock and see if this works. And in some cases it does. In some cases, maybe you add a tablet to the, to the mix. Uh, my favorite though, 
Um, still, my favorite access point of Exonify that I've heard about is, did you know that modern deli scales in grocery stores are internet capable devices with touchscreens? IoT deli scales, did not know that. <laughs> yeah, so we, we enable certain organizations to use their deli scale as that access point if they need to pull up a job aid on something related to that department. The device was there. We just didn't necessarily look at it as part of the learning and development equation until, again, we took a hard look at the resources available and activated the right tools along the way. So that's a, that's an important part to highlight because so often I, I feel like the operations of how you bring something like this to life don't always get considered, right? You see, you see a cool thing and people go, wow, that's really cool. Let's do it. And then don't really think through, okay, let's think about this. Like what you're talking about, where are the device? How do we get people access to this? Because it's fine mm -hmm. if we have a platform, but if ultimately they can't access it, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. anyway. Or if it's on the HR computer in the back room that nobody goes to, you're not yeah. going to see that same level of engagement. The other one, and that leads me to my next question, that's another one of those operational challenges that... I think if you haven't been in that seat, you may not necessarily think about is that content change or, or designing content or really mapping that out to fit that new way of delivery is not something you snap your fingers and overnight magically it's all there. So with Exonify, are, are you developing the content in the tool? What's that process look like as people start to shift? Sure. So we... We essentially provide a range of options because there is no one right answer for every organization. So in some cases, and I'll use me as an example, I had my own instructional design team when I was an Exonify user. So my team built all of the content applying Exonify's methodology, and we were off to the races by ourselves because we had that that tool set. Um, and I wasn't like beholden to a large course catalog that I was particularly worried about at that time. So I took advantage of that. So as Exonify, we'll, we train instructional design teams to apply our methodology to build content that can really power our technology. We also, when you get involved with Exonify, we'll actually build content alongside you to get you started. So if there are certain kind of key priorities, we can identify specific business problems we want to address out the gate as part of building the business case and proving the value of the change that you're making, both from a technology and a strategy perspective, will help you build your introductory set of content to get you off and running okay. so that you don't have to worry about kind of mastering the approach before you're able to see value. We're also leveraging a marketplace. So we've built out both partnerships with third-party content providers, as well as built out our own content in a marketplace to, again, get people off and running quickly. But with content that's more nuanced and focused on what our customers are asking us for, um, based on the industries that we specifically focus on when okay. it comes to frontline employees. My favorite is, I'm with, I don't quote me. This is not well, you're live, so it's it's kind of gonna happen Don't, so it's not a promise <laughs> but in terms of my exposure to content libraries i have never seen more content options when it comes to fruit picking and preparation in a grocery store than what we've got in our marketplace because again we're, we're looking at what are what are the topics of focus in the, in the types of audiences and organizations we work with and we're building out a content repository that people can pull from customize and then execute quickly without having to go through the whole process so it's things like you know everyone has a ladder safety training why does everyone have to build their own? We can just provide that as yeah. part of the Exonify experience. Um, and then the last thing I didn't mention is you can bring your existing content. So if you have content that is already proving of high value, right? It's making a difference. It, it is an important piece of your overall puzzle that can be implemented in Exonify or through an integration that works with Exonify. 
um, as part of your overall puzzle. Because I'm sure a lot of organizations have that compliance-related training that maybe they have to execute in a certain way that can also be leveraged as part of this experience. But like when I said, fit is going to change because maybe that's not today's three to five minute experience. Maybe that's going to be a 25 minute experience because that's what the requirement asks of you. Um, so that can be leveraged as well. So it's basically a combination of options when it comes to the content piece. But what we're trying to help people do is apply as much of our methodology as possible yeah. so that we can get the best value out of their entire range of content and the entire experience of Exonify along the way. So from a user experience standpoint, you know, I'm, and I'm curious to dig into this because the example you just mentioned, right? So there's, you're still going to have those compliance things that are going to come through. That's not a five minute, you know, quick brush up on this. How are most organizations do you see from a, from the end user? How are they doing that? Are they still experiencing it through Exonify? And is Exonify breaking down, Hey, this is this type of thing, or is it something more where they're being kind of nudged towards it in Exonify, but it's pushing them out to something else. I'm just curious if you see trends on how people are doing that. No, I mean, I've seen every, every combination real okay. of. I mean, even let's take me as an example. So I use Exonify as a person who works at Exonify in order to do Exonify related training. Well, that's so good. When I do <laughs> yeah, right. So when I do compliance related training at Exonify, in some cases, I'll experience content we've built in platform, so it's native to Exonify. But another topic may actually take me out to a government website to review a piece of information that I have to review on that website and okay. then come back and acknowledge and maybe answer some reinforcement questions to make sure I picked up the right information from that reading. So it re really, again, is a, a combination of different ways to apply content that fits the problem you're trying to solve and then any other requirements that may wrap around that. Okay. So when, when people go into this, because it, the content strategy alone is it's, it's big. And I think that's one of the challenges a lot of organizations face when they start looking at this digital ecosystem is we, many times you have more content than maybe you even realized you had, and now you're starting to pull this together. Do you, do you see more success in kind of a, a more pointed approach at saying, let's, let's try and move the needle in this small area? Or do you find people just go all in and say, let's just do it all at once. And is there more success in one way or the other? I'd say, again, it kind of depends on, on the organization and what they're trying and to achieve and make up in complexity of the business, right? Yeah. So there, there are some organizations who can walk through a technology implementation and scale very quickly as with Exonify as the core of a, a new approach to, to learning technology. And then there are some businesses that are highly complex, have a lot of different stakeholders, a lot of different tools in the mix. And maybe it's about... Uh, working with a particular department to solve specific, you know, high value problems, build the business case, and then show how this same strategy can be applied in other parts of the business as well. So it really depends on the makeup of the organization and, and how you would naturally evolve a different approach to enabling people and different approach to training across a business like this. And what we do in the process of working with an organization is figure out what is the right process for your for your team? How can we make sure you're successful and, sh and make sure that you're showing value in the approach that you're taking? Because we know, and you know this, and I know this from my background, that technology is kind of a high stakes proposition for a lot of people in HR learning and development, right? If you don't make a decision that shows value to the business, people may then question your ability to make those decisions. And we yeah. completely understand that. So we want to make sure that we're this is true, I think, of L&D in general, but we want to make sure we're building heroes, right? It's not about what I can do. It's about me helping you do the best that you can do for your organization and you bringing the value and bringing the strategy, not me as someone who's sitting 
not inside of your organization. So we're going to do what we need to do to make sure that, you know, how we implement and how we start to change people's habits and introduce these ideas of daily learning and reinforcement performance support, we do it in the right way to get the most value for your business. Okay. So that's, that's going to lead me kind of to the next direction of what I wanted to talk about. Because when we first talked about having this chat, you know, we talked about the fact that in many people in LMDs, at least in the conversations I have, when people think Exonify, they think micro learning. And, yeah. and we talked about that in that it's a yes and, and, and the evolution of the company really is not just about, yeah, we put a lot of content out there that people like and, and you know, they're really engaged with it. There's a lot more to it. So talk to me about this, this evolution. You know, you said the company's moved a, a long way since you started in 2013 and continues to help. You know, help everyone else understand how Exonify is not just a micro learning platform. And where, where are you sure. going with I, I think, I think the, the importance of kind of having that conversation comes back to the word micro learning, right? Right. And what is the, is there a consistent understanding of what that word means? Uh, definitely and, not. <laughs> right? And okay, outside of that consistent understanding, what does it commonly mean? Yes. And what, what, when you hear the word, what do people tend to be referencing? Small bits of content. Exactly. So you've already said it, and I completely agree that just making content smaller doesn't change anything, right? Because no. big, big, bad content made small, bad content is still bad content. <laughs> and the, all of the same problems emerge, right? Maybe it gets a little bit easier to get people to complete a course when it's smaller, uh, you know, all those other factors. But I think the biggest value for me of the micro learning conversation, even though I completely admit ton of buzz, ton of hype, ton of confusion, is that we started talking about solving specific targeted problems yes. that emerged around the how long should things be question? Because yeah. I still, I don't know if you get that question, I still get the how long should training be? Yeah. And I would love to live in a world where I could say four minutes and 12 seconds and you're got it, right? <laughs> That's just not the way not reality. people work. Um, so the value of the micro learning conversation as an industry, I think, came down to, we started talking about solving specific problems. Now the question becomes, how do we take that and expand upon that idea and apply a wider range of tactics and tools to go after those problems? And when we've talked about ex uh, microlearning as Exonify, and if anyone's been to a session of mine where I talked about microlearning, it wasn't just about content design. It's been about a variety of different tactics that we leverage to engage people. So the motivational tactics I talked about earlier are an important part of the puzzle. Taking content that's targeted and fits a specific challenge, but then using data alongside that content to adapt and focus and target the experience even more. Because let's say that we do work through our process and we figure out what the key problem is and the right solution for solving that problem, great. But now we have the problem that our entire audience, our entire employee population may not be experiencing this problem. So if I deliver this very targeted, small, highly engaging content to 100% of the employees when only 25% of them actually needed the help, yep. I'm still in the same problem that I was when I was giving one-size-fits-all training. So an important part of our equation as Exonify has always been the data story, which is how we're using the levels of engagement that we have, using the design process that we apply to build a data profile that allows us to then personalize the experience and further target how we deploy content. So it's not just you're getting smaller content, which yeah. is good because it's targeted, good. but it's you're also better. getting content that fits you, that is addressing the problems that you're experiencing, and it's going to help you do your job better. So that's, 
I think, a big part of the equation that's often missing when we talk about microlearning, yeah. which is why it's important for me to get beyond the traditional understanding of the term as a content model and talk about all of the other tactics and all the things we talked about today, making sure people have access, using data in the right ways, measuring the actual impact of what training is doing so that we can make better decisions about how we kind of move forward with our strategies. All of those pieces are critical. Most people don't wrap that entire collection under the word microlearning, no. which is why I think it's, it's important to kind of expand beyond the, the buzz term. Yeah. Well, and I think your point was spot on with, I, I, I've seen the evolution of microlearning over time. And I think the being more focused on, on problems. And I think the other thing that it did that was a positive thing was it got us to start thinking about, do we really need all this information that we're putting into here? Like we're, we're putting this in everything, but the kitchen sink, maybe that's not the right approach. So I think that was the start of the evolutionary journey along this. But as you said, it's, it's about thinking about, well, okay, but how do we go to the next level with that? So what are some of the things that you're seeing or that's happening with the platform that's enabling that that's allowing people to say, maybe we started with a peanut butter spread approach. We kind of hit this whole population and we learned through our data and, and analytics that maybe they didn't really need it. Or is it happening after the fact? Is it happening before? Or sure. Both? So if you, if you, Let's just use kind of the, the traditional iceberg yeah. uh, uh, comparison of, of technology, of how technology is built. So yeah. there's the very slim layer of Exonify that as a user, as a manager, as an administrator, you actually touch every day. Underneath that layer, there's our machine learning capability layer. Okay. So that's how we're applying data to power multiple parts of the experience. So it's not just about one particular component being AI enabled. It's about driving the entirety of the experience through that layer. And yeah. then underneath that, the biggest chunk of the iceberg is the data layer. So like I said, the what we're able to do with the amount of data we're collecting, and on average for you know, kind of an average size organization, we're collecting somewhere around 250 million data points a year for an organization, which is, goes way beyond your course completion. Did they like it? You know, when did they take it? What team yeah. are they on type of data set? So with that much more robust data set, making sure it includes not just content data, learning data, we're tracking people's nuanced changes in terms of knowledge, performance, business outcomes, confidence, all of these other data points. What we're able to then do with that in order to reshape the experience, I think takes our story to another level. Okay. And I'll, I'll use an example of recommendations, all right? So when you hear, because microlearning has been joined by AI as a buzzy term that a lot Oh of yeah, I, don't worry, I'm going there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of my favorite, and again, this is not an exact stat, but I heard something to the effect of 80% of AI startups in Europe don't actually use AI in their solution, right? right? Like, because it's a word that not commonly understood People don't know if it's actual artificial intelligence and machine learning or if it's uh, a complicated Tagging. if this then more programming chain, yeah. right? Um, so we're seeing the word a lot. A lot of people are saying they use AI for certain things. Um, so let's take recommendations as the example. Yep. So a lot of technology and learning, when you see the recommendation story, it's wrapped around this Netflix narrative, right? Netflix for Edutainment. learning. Yep. Yeah. But my challenge to that argument would be how often does Netflix, not saying anything negative about Netflix, but how often does Netflix actually recommend the thing you want to watch? Because Netflix has a certain data set. It's wrapped around consumption. They know what you've watched. They know what other people have watched. And they start to make the best recommendations they can. That's still better than saying, here's thousands of things. Pick one. Right. right? It's a step that, that forward. Is, it's a step forward. But when you apply that to learning and development, what are the odds that we're both on the same team? You took a course that I should take that course because you took it, you liked it, 
Why would that solve my problem? So when you apply a much more robust data profile and a different application of machine learning to that problem, what we're able to do is make recommendations or personalize the training experience, not just based on what you've taken in the past, not just based on what team you're on, but what is actually working, right? What types of topics and activities have proven to have results and help people achieve outcomes that you are also held accountable to and help push you in that direction based on what really is working and the evidence behind it and not just artificial types of data. So that's, an ex I think, a strong example of how we're taking data and AI in a very different direction in the way that we're using it to power the entire experience of Exonify and not just just content recommendations or just personalization or just you know these other pieces. Um, we're taking it throughout the entire experience and the entire technology. Okay. Well, and, and I'm, a question came through that I'm, I'm definitely going to ask here, but I think that's an important part because a couple of people in the comments have brought this up that, you know, in, it's true. Engagement is good. It's not mm -hmm. complete, right? So just mm -hmm. because, and that's the challenge is great. We have lots of people doing this stuff. And I've been in conversations with senior leaders before where you go, Hey, we have a 80% engagement rate and they go, so what? Right. Yep. So what? I mean, that's good. It's not necessarily it's better than 10 percent, but that's not telling the story of it. And so when we dig into this data piece, the question that came through that I'm, I'm curious to hear how how that's being done is, you know, from Hannah, uh, when it comes to how they're you're capturing that data in in Exonify, is that something that's happening behind the scenes? Are users being asked about that data? You know, how are you collecting that more holistic data other than just they did this stuff, they completed this many things? Sure. So there's a combination of tactics at play. I completely agree. Engagement's the start of the story, right? If you don't have engagement, you have no story to tell. Right. But once you have engagement, the question becomes, is it actually making a difference? Is it working? And right. is it helping people do their best work every day? That's the that's probably the term you hear me say the most. Yep. Um, so in the experience of Exonify, at our core, first of all, we leverage question-based learning as a core of our experience. Okay. So by asking people to apply their knowledge every time that they're engaging with the platform and doing it in very targeted, nuanced ways, we're able to measure changes in their knowledge over time. We're also asking them to assess their confidence along the way. So we're measuring self-assessed confidence as part of the equation. We're measuring what they've completed, what they've you know, parts of the platform they've used, how they've been using the platform. We have a demographic breakdown of who they are, what team they're on. Um, we then connect them to specific behavior expectations. So we may in Exonify also be collecting behavior data, or we may be ingesting that from some other source. So let's say we're supporting a logistics team, they're working in a warehouse, and they have people walking around observing behavior, making sure people are driving forklifts appropriately, lifting and picking boxes appropriately. We're ingesting all of that data as well. That's showing us what they're doing in real life. And then we're also connect, uh, connecting the systems that bring in business KPIs. Okay. And then the back end of Exonify, all of that gets snapped together. Because like I said in the very beginning, it's not just about building content for the sake of content. We're connecting the solutions provided to the desired changes in knowledge, changes in behavior, and changes in specific business results. When you bring that data back in, and it's just a sampling of the data set that I spoke to, we're then able to start tracking nuanced changes over time, start connecting the dots, and connecting what is actually causing the changes. We know that 100% of performance change, 100% of business outcome is not based on training. No, right? right. Plenty of other things are happening. If you've launched a new product, and that's a key initiative to drive sales of that product, 
pretty sure your marketing team launched a campaign. Yeah. Right. Pretty sure something happened in the stores. You know, there's the cyclical impact of business. There's all these weather, right? There's all these different types of things that could happen. Right. You name it. There's yeah. plenty of things. Right. But what we're able to do is take the amount of nuanced data that we have and the fact that we're collecting that data at the level that we are. So if you talk about like the five V's of data and marketing, um, yeah, we're collecting data much quicker at a much higher volume and at a much higher value than traditional learning technology would. We're then able to apply machine learning models that we build that are customized to the needs of each business and then connect the dots to say, to what degree is your training actually impacting the results that you see for your business? And then that conversation, like I said, one, powers the engine of Exonify to say, if something's working, we're going to maybe point people in that direction and lean people who are struggling in those topics in the direction of things that we know we're working. Two, we're able to report that back to administrators and learning and development teams to say, you might have built 10 topics to go after this particular challenge. These three are working to this degree. These two are not and allow learning and development to say, why, right? Is something wrong with the content? Is something wrong with the way we're deploying it? Are we just focused on the wrong things maybe? And now we can get proactive about adjusting our strategy rather than just assume all of our content works or assume yeah. that it's equal. And the biggest thing I think for me, besides all of that kind of learning strategy and automation piece is it changes the conversation. It's now about learning and development going into a room with stakeholders and saying of the making up a number, $15 million in sales we saw last quarter, our data, as validated by data scientists inside the organization, shows that a million dollars of that outcome is based on the training that we, we did. So now you're coming from a position of true collaboration and true business partnership, yep. right? To say, we contributed to this degree, just like your marketing team's going to do, your sales team's going to do, all the other teams that are more advanced in their data practices are already showing how they're delivering value to the business. It's not the only reason to measure impact. It's no. all of the things I've talked about, but it is a powerful part of building added investment and added trust in learning and development because right. we're showing that we're actually having the impact people are asking us for. And then we can use that understanding to make better decisions along the way. Well, and it makes the conversation so much easier. And again, from a credibility standpoint, when you say, here's something else that we need to invest in, or here's an investment we need mm -hmm. to make to continue this momentum, it's not a, well, why? Well, because I think it's going to be really neat. It's, it, well, yeah. no, because we've proven to you that this is how that works. So to, to go back to something you mentioned, just to, to make a point of clarification or make sure I'm understanding right. So Exonify also, in addition to all the data it's collecting through people's experience and things, it can pull in business intelligence and be able to combine those things together. So you can tell a holistic story of this is everything that's going on. Correct. So one of the, it's been an interesting challenge and an interesting conversation over time to work with HR and L&D professionals to get more nuanced in that data conversation and to work with partners inside the organization who have the data. Yeah. A lot of the times L&D doesn't have this type of data because no. they just haven't used it before. So yeah. we, ha we were helping organizations get access to that data and figuring out how they can use it in different ways. Because there may be teams who, let's say it's a sales related objective. They don't maybe want to share their exact sales numbers with L&D to then put in L&D technology. Yep. So we'll change it to percentage to goal as the actual numbers that we're leveraging. So as long as we have an understanding of how individuals or maybe it's data at a team level, again, a bunch of different ways we can, we can slice and dice data. Yep. Um, as long as we have that understanding, we can start to connect those dots along the way and actually figure out how training 
is impacting the result your business is seeing. Well, and the thing with that, for, for those of you in LA, if you haven't started having those conversations or building those relationships, I mean, it's, it's no shortage of work. And I think that's one of the things that is important for people to understand when it comes to this. You're trying to get to this point, but it's not a flip the switch. So we buy Exonify and now we have all this business intelligence that we can tell this holistic story because I can tell you more than once I've gone down this path and you start to realize, okay, we, we maybe don't have the data the way I thought or the, the exact data we need. And you have to find the people that have the right data and understand where this business intelligence is. There's a lot of relationship building, a lot of conversations and collaboration mm -hmm. that has to happen before you can just buy a point solution and say, great, now we can, now we can in theory feed in this data, but have we done the work to get to the point where we can actually do that in a good way? And I think that's the journey versus the you know destination. It's similar to how we've, we've been saying for years that IT should be our best friends because we're going to need them as part of the work that we're doing. And we know where they tend to be focused on customer facing initiative. Now it's the BI team or your data science team needs to be part of your best friend group as well. So when I do sessions about data and, and AI, I tell people, take your BI team out to lunch, start buying them food, right? Start building the relationship before you have to ask them for something so that you understand how they do their work, what resources you do have available to you. And then you can make more informed uh, recommendations from your side, make more informed asks and get further along rather than just show up one day and expect them to have what you need or be willing to yeah. help you right away. When it's a very new conversation for HR and L&D. It is. It's a new things. conversation that many are treading into. And it, it's mm -hmm. and that's the other thing I think around setting expectations on this is one of the things that can either be a, a very good or a bad thing is depending on how you do that, that you're making sure you set expectations accordingly. You know, the, the time and the effort it's going to take to do this. You're not, you're not going to implement something like this and in the next quarter, be able to prove, Oh, we well, can now say to your example, a million dollars of this contribution came from learning and development. That's not an overnight success and don't set expectations that it will be because that will come back uh, and it will blow back on you if you do. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, any other, you know, I'm just curious, one last thing, and I know we're almost at the time here, but from a machine learning, and again, we're, I know we're not going to have time to go deep into this, but talk a little bit about how you're using that machine learning to actually evolve and learn from this stuff so that it is getting smarter as it moves. Sure. So essentially, long story short, um, we're looking at the data profile that an organization is able to provide and then matching it to the appropriate set of models that we have built in the background of Exonify and then figuring out what models best able to handle that type of data in order to get us an accurate prediction of where the data will take us so that we can then proactively apply it for adaptive learning and measurement okay. purposes. So it's it's kind of the story of, you know, you you take a large data sample, you use part of that data sample through a variety of models and figure out, can it figure out where the data was going historically, and then you continue to improve and train that data model over time. So it's not a matter of we take one machine learning model and apply it to yeah. everything that we do and hope that we're right. Um, we're applying the right model to the right data set based on what organizations are able to provide. And then, like I said, we're using it to power uh, the adaptive experience every time someone uses Exonify, any type of content recommendations we may make for extra training or extra resources, the measurement side of Exonify. Okay. And one of the things I'm most excited about inside of Exonify that I don't think gets a lot of talk about is that we, we do a lot of dashboarding for managers. So, okay. you do, so you as an admin don't have to do like the spreadsheet pivot table thing yep. and then like send an email to the manager to say, get people to do their training. We take care of that because it's a very different experience. 
But inside of that dashboard, we're also bringing in that KPI data and showing it to managers to say, here's where you are in your you know, core KPIs. Here's where we're projecting that you may end up at the end of this month or end of this quarter. And here's what you can do as related to training activity in order to help improve your business goal. So as a manager, it's no longer, we'll get people to do training because they're supposed to do training. Now it's, I'm held accountable to this goal. This is how additional training or coaching on specific topics may actually help me get that goal. So yeah. now I have kind of stake in the game of learning and development as an operational manager, when in a frontline audience, it's particularly important that frontline managers be part of the story because they have such considerable influence over the employee experience. They have to be part of the learning experience as well. So that's okay. just another way we're using yeah. machine learning to change how we're presenting data and recommendations well, and to that, managers, not just users. And that just breaks it down into just the pragmatic of, right, what is that? Because that's the thing, in, and I'm telling you, we could probably talk for much longer than we will, yeah. so we'll, we'll wrap up here. But I think that's one of the challenges that people are struggling with when they hear AI is, Okay, so what is you know? Okay, so you have machine learning. What is machine learning doing? And so to understand that it's okay. Hey, it's helping with the adaptive, the personalization nature of content, and also towards this more dashboard and, and making use of this analytics. Because I think that's a huge potential of machine learning is to help us as L and D not have to become data scientists and experts, but to be able to help make some predictions and guide us, you know, along the way. So this is. This has been awesome, JD. It was good catching up again. Hopefully, for those of you watching, we got most of your questions answered. I know this was just the, going back to the iceberg analogy, the tip of the iceberg for things. But um, I appreciate your time. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Happy Friday. And uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk again, uh, JD, in, in the near future. So have a great weekend, everybody.